iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to The Ruck. This is our End of Six Nations episode, even though The Six Nations hasn't actually ended. This is the one where we go back to the beginning and review our smart predictions. I'm Owen Slot, and I suppose I have to acknowledge that back at the start of The Six Nations, there was an edition of The Times where I predicted England to win the championship. I'm joined by Sam Warburton, who appeared in the same edition, predicting exactly who to win The uh, Six Nations, Sam. I think I said England, didn't I? <laughs> You think you said England? No, 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 definitely England. Sam. England, yeah. yeah. And uh, six days earlier in the Sunday Times, there were predictions from Jonesy and Lawrence, uh, who are both also with me today. And uh, can you remember who your predicted Six Nations winner was, uh, Steve? I think I went for England. You did indeed. And Lawrence, you, you finally the, the other wise man amongst us. Well, Jonesy went for England, but he's the same man that predicted that Saracens hadn't actually breached the salary cap as well. So uh, we, don't, we, we clearly don't get it right all the time, do we? Um, I got one out of two there. I did actually uh, predict the winner of England-France to win the, the the title, which clearly it wasn't. Which is actually on, on the subject of newspaper predictions. In, uh, in 2019, when uh, everyone thought that Ireland were brilliant and England were rubbish, in the first round of that Six Nations, I think there were like 12 expert analysts in the Times who uh, all predicted Ireland to beat England. And they all got it wrong. And the, the, the editor, bless him, I hope he's listening, he wasn't very impressed with us. So um, a few weeks later, when it was England-Wales, and suddenly England were outstanding and Wales weren't, similarly, everyone predicted Wales to beat, uh, England to beat Wales. But with the editor in mind, the most junior person, uh, analyst amongst us was told he had to switch horses. And he was the only one who got it right. But isn't it utterly bonkers, this Six Nations, that you've got a tournament where we all came up with predictions, and I'm sure all the listeners did at home as well before, and that, you know, actually what's played out is that Ireland have beaten England, England have beaten France, you know, France have beaten Wales and Wales beat Ireland. So it's this kind of virtuous circle of results that no one would have necessarily predicted. You've got five teams who are all so close to each other, you know, obviously not, not Italy. And, and the difference has been often the referee and, and just like moments of discipline. And that's literally what separates teams. And so I, like I said, from a, I was looking at at it from a Welsh perspective. I couldn't help but think whenever people were saying, oh, we're going for a grand slam going into the last weekend when I was just wandering around and stuff. And I was like, yeah, but we haven't half ridden our luck this campaign. Like, you, you need a bit of luck to win things. You, you do need things that you need to have the rub of the green and things like that. But I thought, my God, we've had the rub of the green for the first three big games. But the way Wales played then for 65 minutes against France was actually, they justified going for 
the Six Nations title. Obviously, then for discipline to be the issue again. But yeah, point being is, I remember saying at the start on that on episode one, there's going to be an upset. But I think what we didn't see there was about four or five upsets. You know, it was crazy the amount of games went back and forth. And I do wonder whether you know no crowds has had a big impact on that as well. Well, well it's, inter- it's interesting you say that, Sam, because I think of 14 games played, seven have been won by the away team. So. Yeah. You know that that is a that's in in the correlation of statistics. You know, fifty fifty um, since lockdown, really, in across all sports, away team success has gone up, gone up and up and up. And oh, so- there's no coincidence that and when we were doing the, the knockouts for the Champions Cup in, in I think it was the quarterfinals, over half the away teams won. You know, it was like so. It is no coincidence that at Six Nations level and at Champions Cup level, the away teams winning more than ever. So it's got to have a factor. Jonesy, at the start of the championship, or, or rather at the end of the autumn, uh, rugby rugby seemed to be in a, a, at a bit of a low place. The entertainment factor w- had been at a, a pretty poor point in the uh, in the Autumn Nations Cup. Uh, it, it just feels that that's all behind us now. It is all behind us, and, and thank God for that. And uh, makes Eddie Jones's prediction at the time that there's no way you could play attacking rugby, etc., look even more ludicrous than it was then. But it, it look, it's been fantastic. It is awful, and I will never. I'm sure none of us will ever get used to going to a stadium and that not having a crowd crowd there. That's been awful, and it feels worse. The big, the bigger the uh, contest, the bigger the stakes, the worse it feels. But it's been absolutely excellent. The players have taken on the the mantle and, and been brilliant. And just just as a slightly defensive look at our at our own predictions, I think it was correct to predict that Eddie Jones, with all the talk and all the players at his disposal, and with a World Cup final behind him, would come through and England would improve. And I think we'd all we'd all based our predictions on that. What we didn't know is that they would get dramatically worse. Sam, you you mentioned fine margins and bounces of the ball. But my mind just keeps on going back to England, Scotland, like two minutes into the game, Marutoji charges down an Ali Price uh, box kick. The ball bounces towards the try line and uh, England have momentum. And, and immediately you're thinking, Christmas, this is another fast start. England are out of the block. Marrow uh, chases the ball and then Johnny Hill flops down onto it and concedes a penalty. Suddenly momentum's gone and they were that close to a try and they would have been 8-0 up uh, with, uh, sorry, 7-0 more likely, isn't it? They'd have been 7-0 up within, I think it was three minutes or two minutes or something. Do you think that everything could be so much different on, on just tiny things like that? No, I think England's problems were, were deeper than that because, I mean, don't get me wrong, it has a big influence in the game and there's a pivotal moment in the Wales-Scotland game where Scotland's, I think it was Cummings, got in front of the ball carrier. If they scored, they would have been something like over two tries ahead. It was disallowed. Scotland gave away two penalties. Wales scored and they end up winning momentum swings. They get the game and there's a red card in there. So these little moments happen. But I think the teams at this level, 80 minutes is a... Is a one moment that goes against you, you can recover from that, you know, in 80 minutes. But when two or three go against you, that's suddenly really significant uh, at international level. But I think England's problem started off from the Saris boys not having enough game time. And I, I know it, like, everyone's different, but I remember Jamie George, and there's nothing else he can say when he said they're going to be ready. They've had like a pre-season. When I went into both Lions tours, I was saying exactly the same thing. I had two good Six Nations campaigns in my belt, but I got injured for... I had like a ligament tweak in my knee both times, didn't play for two and a half months, went into tour, completely undercut. And I only just got back in time for both test series, you know, just from three or four games under my belt. So I don't care what the Saracens boys say, how hard you train, you cannot replicate international rugby. You cannot replicate 
the intensity, the pressure, the collision, the build-up of the week. You, you can't replicate it. So that was one thing. And then the penalties kept accumulating. I think England would just kept trying too hard. You know, they kept trying to chase. And I've done it. I've been captain for the Blues once. I remember I gave away three penalties in the first half because they were tweak, they tweaked the rules at the breakdown a bit. I thought I won three legal turnovers. I got penalised three times. I remember going in a half-time and Danny Wilson gave me an absolute, like, rocket at, at my backside saying I'm flipping captain, giving away three penalties. And it's because I was so frustrated. I almost couldn't accept defeat. I was like, no, I'm legal. And I felt watching the England team, that that's what I could almost see their players going through. And just a small thing, not one player fixes a team. But England have massively, massively missed Sam Underhill. He is the single best tackler in the world. Most defensive, his collision dominance. I just think and he gives England, England don't defend, rarely defend more than five, six phases. In, in 2020 because teams couldn't go past them for that many phases. They can't keep the ball. Watch an island. Ireland were keeping the ball for over 10 phases, you know, when they scored their, their first try. And England's defence seemed a lot more passive. I just think, you know, no Courtney Laws, no Sam Underhill has really hurt them, you know, from a defensive point of view. Normally teams will try and play into England for two or three, four phases, get no success. They've gone backwards 10 yards, they revert to a kick, you know, so... I think they've massively missed a couple of their big defensive leaders as well. The RFU go go into review mode with with Eddie now. We know that there is a break clause in in um, Eddie Jones's contract. That the, the question is now: Do they invoke that, or do or do they back him to go all the way to the World Cup? If you get invited onto that review committee, um, uh, which way are you going? It's interesting, isn't it? I um I did a, I did a review of my own, and I actually found an interview that I did with Eddie Jones for BT Sport. Eight games into his tenure, so he'd won his first eight games in charge, and things were going obviously spectacularly well. And and I'd looked at Eddie Jones's coaching career, and, and he's had some some massive high points, you know, in terms of across Super Rugby, you know, club rugby, international rugby. But things have also started to unravel a little bit, as they as they can do in any in anyone's coaching career or playing career. And uh, I think uh, with Australia, for instance, he got Australia all the way to the. World Cup final and but for Johnny Wilkinson's drop goal would have would have been you know Australia's World Cup winning coach uh, you know they had notable victories over over the All Blacks which uh, you know previous Australian coaches had really struggled to do so there was successes but ultimately after four years things did start to unravel with Eddie and the Australian team and I asked him that question specifically in the interview I said Eddie you know what what happened there you know did things did start to unravel and uh, you know did you stay on too long and he said, yeah, I did, mate. He said, uh, I won't make that same mistake again. He said, four years is probably just about right. He said, you know, six years was was too long and it won't happen again. Now, bear in mind, this was back in 2016, I asked him this. And what are we now? We're now in his sixth year of his uh, coaching tenure with England. It's just fascinating, really. I mean, I'm not, this is not an Eddie Jones witch hunt, but it is fascinating. There comes a point in your coaching career, same, same group of players, same coach, if you don't freshen things up, and, and Sam will know this from, from club rugby or international rugby, if you don't freshen things up with the playing group and you don't freshen things up with the coaching group, then the same messages don't quite have the same effect. Eddie's already said himself, you know, publicly, uh, there will be some changes. Well, are those going to be changes that are actually going to challenge the coach? Because he has got an enormous amount to offer, but England currently have a have a policy that if they don't win the, the collisions and they don't win the physical battle in a game, they just don't win the game. In the, the thunder of this morning, the heading is Out of Control Ego Show Has England in Terminal Decline. Also, and over your piece, Sotty, Boom or Bust Jones is no longer the right man for the job. So maybe maybe the compere should give us his opinion this week. 
is a very, very strong heading, and I agree with it. But the whole the whole business has become poisonous. All that stuff with Eddie using the word rat poison last week, it is about as elegant as my backside, honestly. And I think the ego is totally out of control. And as Lauren says, unless they get him back in control, he did ought to go. But what do you think, Slotty? Boom or Buzz Jones? No longer the right man for the job? Well, the, the way I addressed it was, what, what's, your, what's your best chance of, of winning a World Cup? And I, I, I'm already being slightly hypocritical here because one of the things that really annoys me about the Eddie regime is he makes it sound like it's all about the World Cup and the four uh, Six Nations Championships in between, etc., are just building blocks along the way, which I think is nonsense. But anyway, if we're just talking about can or how would England win, win the World Cup, if Eddie's the coach, then for me, they have a, a pretty good chance. But... If they have a different coach, I think they now have a better chance. I think Eddie has high points. There are periods when he can get the team to peak, but he doesn't get any any consistency out of them. So, you know, fingers crossed that they might reach the next World Cup and, and be at one of those highs. And he knows how to time that high, we know, so they would have a decent chance. But I just think if you, if if you put someone else in charge, and that probably Rob Baxter would never want the job, but, but this Rob Baxter is a coach who produces a consistently high-performing Exeter team. They, they don't really go through these swings of highs and lows. You always know that they're going to deliver. And I think with a group of players I seriously think are as good as they be, as England have had since Lawrence's 2003 group, with that group, if you give them a, a, a consistently high-level performance, then they have a better chance of winning, of winning the World Cup. So, yeah, if it's an odds game, I'd go with a person who's most likely to deliver a World Cup, and that would not be Eddie. Slotty, I totally disagree with what you just said. I don't think these guys, in character or ability or confidence or technical nose, they're not in the same planet as Lawrence's two or three teams. Sorry. No, no, hang on a second. I said they were the best since then. I didn't say they were, they were as good. I think, I think it's the best England group since then. Well, they've been crap since then. <laughs> I mean, there's also a, fa- a system failure with England. I mean, you know, look, Bill Sweeney, the CEO, came in halfway through Eddie Jones's tenure and he backed his coach. But equally, there has to be that level of accountability with, with regard to the things. And I mean, the, the structure of English rugby is struggling again again again. And we, we seem to be having this recurring debate. They've made decisions that have, that have maybe handicapped Eddie Jones halfway through the championship where he, he can't bring in players from outside. He's got to go with a, with a squad that he's got in the bubble, which I just find crazy. You've got a situation now where, where England players are so... That, that they spend so much time away from their clubs that none of them can be made captain of their clubs. So you've got a situation where Owen Farrell is probably the only player who's had, um, and along with Charlie Yules, who's got some captaincy experience. Now, uh, you know, going back to 03, we had seven or eight players who had all captained their country and on a regular basis were captaining their club sides week in, week out. Now, leadership is not, you can't learn leadership in a classroom on its own. You have to learn leadership in a classroom and then put it into practice outside. And I don't think any of those players, through no fault of their own, week in, week out, are in are in the firing line where they're having to make those big decisions like Sam and I had to make, either at the beginning of the game or the end of the game, when the bullets are flying. And to think you can make them in training is, is preposterous. So, you know, there is a leadership issue there. Sam, what do you make of all this? I, my, my Wales team, not my Wales team, our Wales team, was nowhere near the, the 0-3 England team, obviously. And it was we had a good period, but by no stretch of the imagination were we, you know, world dominant or anything like that. Um, and people kind of look at it through sort of rose tinted glasses that that era. 
But we, we went 2013 to 2019, that was Six Nations, remember? So we went through some low patches as well as some, some good patches. But on the point of leadership, say that the team I played anyway, like the best players, the ones I loved playing with. And I'm looking back, like, like Gethin Jenkins, Ken Owens, Adam Jones, uh, Luke Chartres, Alan Wynn, Lydia, Dan Bigger, Jimmy Roberts, John Davis, Stephen Jones at, at some point. Shane Williams, I, I, I'm thinking, my God, we probably had eight guys who could captain that team. Uh, and that's what you need. So whenever I got plaudits as captain for Wales, I was like, no. And I wasn't being diplomatic or humble. I was like, no, no, it's not me. I'm the one who like things channel through. And I'm the one that people see on the telly doing the coin toss pre-match and point at the post. But the decisions on field are made by about five or six of us. And in the week, the decisions are made by five or six of us. We'd sit down every Monday as a leadership group with Warren and the team manager. We talk about what went good in the previous week, what went bad, how we want the, the, the next week to shape up and what, what we think we need to do, like wh- which drills we want in training, what's going to win us the game. And that was the input we were all having in together. And that's when we really became good. And don't know, we weren't there in the early days, but like, I like talk about challenging coaches, people like... Alan Wynn and Dan Bigger and Ken now would definitely be willing to... And challenging a coach doesn't mean in front of a team meeting of 30 people, you put your hand up and say, hang on, you're wrong, we should do this. It's just like a subtle conversation around the laptop, you know, or at the end of training. You know, that's that's what that's how you have those conversations. So Wales have had that. Don't get me wrong, Wales are far from the, the, the finished article and they never have been a finished article. And I always used to say when I was playing, the, the team I'm trying to emulate is the England 03 team. You know, I, I remember growing up watching that team I had the videos, I had the DVDs, remember seeing them beat all three Southern Hemisphere teams in the autumn. Then they backed it up and won the Six Nations Grand Slam. Then they went to the World Cup. I'm like, that is what, that's what a world leading side does, you know, and no one's emulated that since, um, which is why it's good to hear the insight, you know, from Lawrence. But I think, I do agree. I think the leadership is a, a massive, massive point in that. Where do you stand on the debate of the, of the coach, Sam? I've kind of seen it from a Welsh perspective in the sense there's certain players that haven't been picked, for example, for England. And I, I, this has been happening for Wales. And I, but then I can't say, I know why certain players haven't been picked because they've done things behind closed doors that none of us can see, whether it's in training, whether it's a behavioural problem. And they can't go out in the press and say that because it's hanging them out to dry. But then I, I do find it hard to believe how someone like Sam Simmons can't get in that England team. I remember covering Exeter before, and I said, if Sam Simmons is picked for the Lions, it's not a bolter, because whenever I've seen him, he's always been phenomenal. But I do find it hard, and you, and you don't want complacency to develop in your, in your team. I remember when like, we, I had Danny Wilson, who came into the Blues, and I, I said it to Warren Gatlin when I was coach of Wales, the one thing I don't ever want is to become complacent. That's my only reservation about being captain. I, I need to know I can be dropped, you know, and, and everybody needs to have that fear. You need to go into a team meeting on a Tuesday or a Monday when they're picking the team and not know if you're starting. You all need that fear like going into the test week, you know, and I just wonder whether England have that, you know. So I just think, yeah, a couple of a couple of players who've been on form, I think just need to have their chance. I think that's why perhaps things are, are getting a little bit stale. Jonesy, it, 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 so one, one word answer, ready, stay or go? Go. Lol? It's not a one word answer because I don't think you can make that decision based on on, on everything that we're seeing at the moment. I personally don't think it's the right time to get to, to change in, no, but I do think it, it, there has to be change. You, you know, you called Palo Dogwood world-class, uh, you brought him into the squad, but then you brought Joe Marchant in ahead of him. If he was world-class, why didn't you play him against Italy? 
why don't you give him a chance? I think there does need to be a review. I think England do need to bring in some fresh ideas in attack or some ideas in attack would be helpful. And I think they can change. And, and you know, Sam talks about the selection. I agree with him. You know, the integrity of the Gallagher Premiership is at an all-time low because you can be the best player in the Gallagher Premiership and get nowhere near the England team, as Sam Simmons has proved. You know, so what's the point? Uh, you know, what's the point in saying, what's the point in Eddie turning up and watching games in the Gallagher Premiership because he already knows what he's going to, who he's going to pick? I mean, he must just like getting out of the house or something. I don't know quite what it is. but So I, so I do think there, there needs to be change, but it doesn't need to be the man at the top necessarily. I would keep Eddie Jones. I like him. What I think needs to change, I agree, is I think, I don't know how the England coaching dynamic works, but like the good coaches I've, I've seen and coaching like groups, say, say like Wales, for example. Say you've got Wayne Pivak, who's new to international, but then you've got Neil Jenkins, who's been on five Lions tours, six Lions tours as a player and coach, coached Wales through all their Grand Slam success. Then you've got Stephen Jones, British Lions, successful Pro 14 winning coach. Jonathan Embrys, who's Scottish, been, been, been up at Scotland. And I've been in the coaching meetings and they take, they take a long time because they're all bouncing back and forth. They agree, disagree with that selection, should be doing this, shouldn't be doing that. And I was chatting to one of our analysts who's been on, you know, the last, I think, three or four Lions tours as well. So he's seen, they're there, they see everything, the analyst. An analyst is like a caddy for those, you know, listening in. In the golfer's world, the analysts are the caddies and then the coaches are the players. The analysts come to the coaches with all the information, it's up to the coaches how they put it on the field, you know? So they see everything, right? And he was like, when it was like meetings about a defensive strategy, he said the forwards coach, would say it would be Rob McBride and Sean Edwards, he said they'd need to be scrapping over which policy they should be using because Sean would want something to work off a lineup, for example, and Rob McBride would want something else. But he's like, but it was always a healthy, challenging debate, you know? And I look at the England setup, and I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger, but does that happen? I don't know whether that does happen in the England setup. You know, have they got strong coaches who really believe in a certain way to play? And I've seen those coaches at Lions level when you've got, you know, Andy Farrell. Andy Farrell's not going to roll over if he just suddenly pushes policy out of the way to, you know, prioritise a certain line out. He's going to say, whoa, whoa, hang on, no, we need to do this because of X, Y, Z. So I just wonder whether there are those coaches there. That is a world exclusive. It's the caddy that's coaching England now isn't it? Because England have become so obsessed with the, with the analysis of a game that they've based their whole game plan around that, around, that, around whatever uh, the analyst is, is telling Eddie on a regular basis. And yes, of course, you know, which is why they won the title last year by kicking the ball away so much, you know, but to, to think that analytics and analysis is the only reason why you win a game and not around the human uh, interaction. Oh, and yeah. the human you have some intuition. And I think the balance, unfortunately, with England has gone way, way towards the machine and yeah. not towards the human, you know, it's the, and, and, and they need to reverse that. That's why I believe that England are in trouble here under Eddie, because all those things you talk about, Sam, like empowering the other coaches to make it a, a, a democratic discussion, having empowered leaders on, on, on the field, they don't, they don't just don't seem to emerge under him because he has so much uh, autocratic <laughs> control. So you say, oh, England could improve if they if the players were were str- had had better leadership skills or if the c- coaches contributed contributed more. But the fact is, the way that the that England has been run under Eddie, that just doesn't happen. So you're not going to change Eddie. So you're not going to change the way he operates. So maybe you have to change him altogether. Right. I don't want this to look like we're pointing the finger at Owen Farrell because I think people listening will think, oh well, we're obviously putting the microscope at Owen Farrell. Owen Farrell is a great leader. 
Like I've I've seen him. I played with him. I'm like, he's a he's one of the best leaders I've, I've ever played with. So, but the thing is, you need like Lars said earlier, you need five, six, seven of them. So that that's where others need to move. Owen can't do it all by himself. You know, you you can't captain all by yourself. You need help from others. So I'm not pointing the finger at Owen. I think Owen does a good job, but it just needs to be backed up with other players. Jonesy, if I look at that England, they're not 2003. There aren't eight captains out there, or as Sam said of his Wales team, eight captains out there. But but they're not all shrinking violets. I mean, Marrow's a captain in waiting. Jamie George has has leadership skills. Tom Curry's coming through in that respect. They say that Mako is a great leader, but I think that's something that we have to accept rather than can actually see. I mean, am I wrong? Or well, I, 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 who's to know? I mean, look. The first thing is that our two great, my two great co-panelists have um, have given their opinions on Eddie's England, and I think that a lot of people will, and I totally agree with everything they both said. But I think a lot of people were listening to those opinions would say, "Hang on." You appear to be making a case for him not to stay. I don't mean, yeah, uh, you know, because because of all the things that you said. I mean, all the the lack of communication, the lack of leaders. And no, I don't care if these people are known as good leaders are, are slotty. They're not being given the chance to show their leadership or to take a lead in in Eddie's coaching group. And out of control ego shows that England are in terminal decline is the perfect heading. The, 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 the players are not enjoying it, clearly. They're clearly not being allowed to thrive in the environment. And the people you mentioned who may be great leaders, they're just not coming through. Even you know we, we, now, now we could question the Vunapolas, who the great the great leaders by example. Now we question Owen Farrell. No one questions him when he plays for Saracens. This whole environment is, is wrong. It feels wrong, and we've we've all got contacts in the team. I think the players know it's wrong. Well, I think the history is in danger of repeating itself. I go back to that original statement, and if you don't make changes along the way, and and the people that are above Eddie Jones have not done that. It wasn't a proper formal review after the World Cup and the reasons why, you know, that went so well and then and then so badly. History has got a danger of repeating itself. It is unravelling. And a lot of people would, would argue, well, we, we knew this would happen. We told you so because it's happened in every team that Eddie's looked after. As I keep saying, the players either have to change or the coaches have to change. Something has to be freshened up. Otherwise, it's the same guy delivering the same message over and over again. There would be some serious concern going on at, at, at HQ today because... They've got to make some big, big decisions. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Wales had a pretty decent Six Nations, and I think we should be talking about them as well. Sam, do you think this is a launch pad for a, a newish Wales team, or or Wayne Pivac kind of stretching, uh, squeezing the most out of a team that clearly has a lot of players uh, that, who are at the end of their careers? Yeah, I think you're right there. So at the start of this campaign, I remember thinking, oh, I, I, was say, I said, there's two things that need to happen for Wales. The Lions, or when I say the Lions boys, I mean the, the previous Lions boys, you know what I mean? They're sort of the, the, the senior players they've got now. I said the senior players that they've got now, the Lions boys need to step up because they had a quiet 2020, a very quiet 2020. And some youngsters need to come through quick. Like that's the two things that have to happen to Wales. The one thing which definitely did happen is a lot of the senior Lions S boys recaptured some form. So, Alan Wynne Jones, Ken Owens, Falatau, Justin Tiprick, George North, you know, they start having impacts again for Wales, which has been great. And that's really helped them stand bigger. Yeah, you know, Reese is coming through, but from a youngster's point of view, that's it. So I do think, yeah, great. You know, we got a lot of the Welsh might be quite happy, but we can't ignore that we can't paper over the cracks. Like we were given two get out of jail cards in the first two weekends. Can't forget that. Some questionable refereeing decisions against England, which which really spun the game. But again, it's impossible to say whether Wales would or wouldn't have won those first three games, but they would have been mighty close. So we don't know. Can't take anything from Italy. I, I, if I was a coach, I wouldn't even watch opposition play Italy at this minute because they're that they're that bad. You can't judge a team on playing Italy. But the French game was really good. But what I saw was just excellence from their senior players. So I do wonder, from a World Cup cycle point of view, is Navidi you know, Alan Wynn, John Davis and those boys big are going to be at the next World Cup. I, I don't know. They, I'm sure they want to, but will they be able to perform at the level they're performing now in two years' time? I'm not sure. So to answer, I guess we need more youngsters. And that, that's my only worry with Wales is do they have the same quality of youngsters coming through as the other nations? And right now, I, I don't. I can't say I know. I, I don't really know right now. I don't think they have as much depth as other teams. People say, well, why are they come why are they currently sitting top of the table? Well, that's because they're relying on the senior players right now. You know, when those senior players go, I'm not sure what sort of state they'll be in. Do they not have a surfeit of great young back rowers ready to um to step up? Oh, but back rows are coming out of our ears. We we've had back rows coming out of our ears for years now, Wales. It's it's always been frightening. I, I don't know whether it's like the fashionable position to play, you know, in Wales. It's just if you're if you're a good player, they just chuck you at number seven or number six. That's just like the fashion. It's just what you do in Wales, you know. It's your, um, it's your fault, Sam. They all they all wanted to become like like the like the great players, and that's that's the point. That's the <laughs> well, point. Yeah, I wanted to become like Martin Williams, you know. Yeah. So that's, I guess you're yeah, kind of right there. But um, yeah, back row is great. You know, great uh, scrum halves. Where we've always struggled is front five. Like say before Alan Wynn and Ian Evans, I said to someone, who was the last British Irish line second row we had before Ian Evans, Alan Wynn? I'm poor. Bob Norster back in the eighties, like you know, same as front row. We've had Gethin Jenkins, Adam Jones, and, and Hibbard, but either side of that, we haven't had loads of props. You know, Lions quality props. So Wales have always had you know some freakish backs and and some you know great athletes in the back row. But apart from the odd player here and there, front five is where we tend to fall short, and that's where I'm looking for Wales in the future. You know, who are the front fives who are going to carry us through the next two World Cup cycles? And they're not painfully obvious right now. Mm. Jones, you you must have enjoyed Wales's Six Nations season. Uh, well, I enjoyed the whole Six Nations season. I'm supposed to be a reporter. I didn't sit there with a daffodil on my. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I actually, not at all. I watched it this morning actually because I didn't. Uh, I was 
doing the England line. I watched it this morning and I just thought at the end, if Wales had won and, and held on at the very end, it very, would be very difficult to say they didn't deserve to be champions because uh, they played super, some superb stuff, Fra as did France. It was a great game. It was actually a great broadcast, to be perfectly honest. And um, I think they did really, really well. And one problem is when someone gets sent off against you, you then cannot give a good performance because whatever, however yeah. you play, everyone will say, oh, they need played against 14 men. So there was an excuse to attack Wales for every game they played, but they kept on winning. Notably, they, they, uh, when they played off scratch against England, when it was all level with uh, half an hour to go, they absolutely dominated the half an hour. So actually, I think they played really well. They were bright. They got leaders. It was great to see Dan Bigger have his moment moment there because I think he's been a great influence for them. Josh Navidi had a sensational game, absolutely yeah, yeah. sensational game. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, had they won, uh, or if they do become champions with a fluke on the weekend, it's I, very difficult to say they don't deserve to be because over a Six Nations program, mm -hmm. it's very difficult not to be. Uh, it's, it's difficult not to deserve it if you win it. Sorry, Steve, I want to ask you a question on this because you obviously have looked at Wales closely the last 10 years. The one big difference of Wales have had, and in my uh, column today, I've actually talked about Lions picks and I've gone not for a player, I've gone for a coach. I've never seen Wales score this many tries against what are supposedly dominant defences. And I've said Stephen Jones, the, Stephen Jones, uh, the attack coach, Stephen Jones, I think has done a phenomenal job because you watch Wales now and you think we're going to score 20, 25 points a game. And I always remember Wales couldn't, you know, everyone used to criticise the lack of tries, one or two tries max, and you'd be relying off half pennies, boots and things like that. But Wales, you just know they're going to score two, three tries at least a game. I think Stephen Jones has to have a lot of credit for that. Their attack has come on a long way since he first joined them in the World Cup back in 19. You know, he's had a really good impact on what you think. Totally agree. And, and uh, the great thing I noticed this morning was the freedom that they played with. There was, no, there was just no, no handbrake on it. It was just, honestly, they, 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 you know, if they'd had five more minutes, they could have, you know, after France took the lead, they could have taken the lead back. As simple as that. It's fascinating. You talked about line selection, guys, and, and I'm just remembering back to Six Nations before the 2005 line selection. Well, I think Wales won the Grand Slam with a Gavin Henson long-range penalty, deservedly so. And England had a very poor campaign along with Ireland, finished sort of fourth uh, in the table. And Clive Woodward picked, well, I mean, he picked virtually every squad, didn't he, really? He picked nearly, nearly every player in every squad. But this, the selection of the Lions, you know, is, is a conundrum for, for Warren Gatland. We know that. And everyone's had their say on who should be in the team, etc. But you have to pick players in form. You, and, and if you don't pick players in form, you are picking players who you believe, or Warren Gatlin believes that he can immediately put form straight back into them. And this is going to be fascinating, I think, because there are some players who Gatlin's desperate to pick, but who are not in form at the moment. And the majority of them are English, by the way. And, and so uh, in terms of the, the ones that he's, he's thinking about picking or leaving out, and it's just going to be fascinating because you've got to somehow have the confidence that he can get Elliot Daly back to the levels that he was at in New Zealand when Sam was there, that you can get certain players, Jamie George. Can I get Jamie George back to being my number one starting hooker? You know, and, that, and that's going to be a fascinating um, conundrum for, for, for Gatlin. 
But but Lawrence, those players you mentioned, they're, they're the ones least likely to find form again because they're going to go back and play in the in the Green King IPA Championship. Yeah, I mean it's not easy, really, really not easy. It's a really um, tough one, that. And and therefore they're just just some brilliant, brilliant selections coming up, and that's what coaches, I guess, earn earn their money on, really, <laughs> in terms of picking the right players, getting the right blend, and also, you know, let's not forget, and Jonesy might have a bit of an exclusive on this, I don't know, but. You know, before he was looking at away games, thinking, well, let's see how these players perform in the most hostile environment because we've got to go to South Africa and play in the home of the world champions. They're probably not even going to be doing that anymore. So does it matter how people play away from home? Because they're going to be playing in empty stadiums, you know, in in the British Isles, probably. Lowell, you brought us up quite nicely onto Lions and Lions selections and, and, and... That really is a, a podcast that could, um, could could go on for hours. But uh, so 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 let's see. All three of you have named in the in the papers over the last twenty four hours. Who would your um, uh, starting lines test fifteen be? So so let's try it and referee just just a little bit of that. There are some bits where you all agree. You've all got the same props. Uh, you've all got Anthony Watson on one of the wings. Uh, you've all got Falatau and Curry. I think uh, yeah. You've all got Falatau and Curry and Marrow in your. Uh, no, you haven't all got Marrow in your second row because Jones, you got Marrow in your back row. But anyway, let's ch- let's just uh, try try and look at uh, a, a few of the positions. Jonesy, you had uh, Liam Williams at fifteen. Lawrence, you went for Stuart Hogg. Sam, I was surprised that you didn't have uh, Liam Williams at fifteen yourself. Well, not so much surprised, interested in that. In that he's obviously a player that you know very well. I said to uh, when I was doing the car, I was like, I need to make, I need to emphasise. This is why I could never be a Lions coach. I found it so hard. And I was literally had my head in my hands on some decisions. Liam Williams and Stuart Hogg was one of them. You know, I, even I had, um, I remember Reece Samit, but like Reece Samit and Duan van der Merwe, I just, such, so many tight calls that I found really difficult. Mm-hmm. The only reason I'm with Hogg is I just think before he hasn't been picked because uh, they would have perceived there might have been some defensive frailties. He might have ran the ball back too often, which could end up, put you in trouble. And perhaps that was because that was the way Scotland used to play. They used to counter-attack too often. But I think his balance of how he runs back and, and how often and now he uses, he's got an enormous boot. I think he uses his boot a lot more effectively and the leadership that he's been given for Scotland, I think has matured him as a player massively. And he's got that X factor. You know, Warren will always be looking for X factor. So that was the reason I've gone with, um, with Stuart Hogg at fullback. Liam Williams, I would say, was be, would have been my... The one that I th- needed to think about the least. I think he's absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. A, a, a being from another planet, one of the great aerial uh, players, one of the great players in the air that I've seen. One of the um, positions that I think uh, will be talked about right up until the first test is uh, who plays at 10. So, um, Lawrence and, yeah, so Lawrence and Sam, you. You both went with with Johnny Sexton after what was a, a, a fairly conclusive uh, game on Saturday. Uh, uh, Jonesy, you're still a Finn, Finn Russell man. Yeah, I, I, I was. In in the rush on Saturday, I probably would have changed that. But of course, when you're covering a game, it's difficult to remember who you pick. But uh, I think that's very tight now. Johnny Sexton one day looks like he's, he's about 93 years old and, and he's gone and he doesn't want to take contact anymore. Next day, he's absolutely brilliant. He's bristling. He's, he's playing flat and playing really well. On that evidence, as long as Johnny Sexton is going to see that through, I think he's probably the better prospect. I think that both those fly ass will go with Dan Bigger. But I, I think that um, on that form, Johnny Sexton is very difficult to argue against. It's always quite interesting, isn't it? It causes so much debate. What we have to remind ourselves is we're asked to pick a team if the, if the Lions test was tomorrow. 
It's not if the Lions test was in mid-August or mid-July or whatever it was. If it was tomorrow, who would it be? Now, you know, just even on the fullback selection, you might argue, well, where's the test going to be? Is it going to be in Johannesburg or is it going to be in uh, Murrayfield? If it's in Johannesburg, why would you not pick Stuart Hogg? Because of, the, because of you know, two of these tests are sp- supposed to be played at altitude. So, you know, so kicking will become a much more significant factor in the selection. Um, there's so many things it's very difficult to consider. We have to remind ourselves we're playing the world champions. They are enormous up front. They are, you know, so maybe the, the selection of Sam Underhill as, the, as the, one of the world's best tacklers, it, it actually becomes a, a, a reality because South Africa have got five of the best second rows in the world. So, you know, can we afford to go into a test match against them underpowered in, that, in, in our pack? The answer is no, because England found to their to their you know, great cost. And if you go in under, underpowered, you get smashed. So there's so many different selections and so many different possibilities. You know, but right, I think what those two halfbacks showed us is that they are world-class if they want to be. And the, the performance, I was blown away by the performance of Conor Murray. I did not believe he had that left in the tank. And I don't think anyone did. Thought his best days were behind him. But clearly, you know, leaving him out the team has had a, and, and letting him freshen up was had a massive impact on him personally. And his performance was, was genuinely world-class. And, and the one of Sexton, you know, record number of points in that game, at the age of 35, he would be absolutely the, the starting fly half for the Lions. Of the three of you, which we would never have said this at the start of the Six Nations, only one has got Owen Farrell in his team, which is you, Lawrence. Um, Sam, kind of going back to what Lawrence said just now, if you were to pick a team tomorrow on the form of the last few weeks, that kind of explains why he's not in these teams. But uh, I would have thought that by, by the time we get to the end of July, he might have played his way back in. What, what's your view on that? Yeah, Des, I, I agree with that. Mind you, some of the selections I've made have been with the tour in mind that three months away because I've gone and seen Mako Vinopola. Some people might think, well, why have I got Mako? But I think like his ceiling compared to the other loose heads is so much higher. And that's like that, Lawrence, you mentioned earlier, Warren will be desperate to, to pick some players. He'll be one he's desperate to come through. Maritoji, he'll be desperate he'll come through. And you've got to bear in mind, they're going to have three, four games to get to that level of test team, you know, t- test team level. So, I've, that's why I've gone with Thomas Williams at nine as well. You know, he's, he's taken well, nine has been an immensely competitive position for Wales, and he has been the guy who's going to have that number one spot. Got really unfortunately got injured in, in the first game of the championship. But I, I, what is I've worked, maybe I'm a little bit biased, I've worked with him quite closely, but he has just got outrageous X factor like ridiculous X factor. I just think he's a player over the next three months with a bit of um, some game time for club level and some warm games for the Lions. I think he could really surprise people with how how special he is as a player. So those two I'm, I'm picking to play into the team. But we've got to remember, it doesn't, like Lawrence said, it doesn't matter what happens in the Six Nations, the, the test team will unfold on that first three, four weeks on tour. Because some players take to a Lions tour like, like ducks to water. Others just, just don't. So we can we'll make predictions now. I can almost guarantee it'll be pretty different can, can test team time because some guys just love that arena of the Lions and they just thrive on it where others don't. So um, there's still going to be plenty of change. It just shows that the variety of opinion or more the fact that how many um, positions are, are not clear because he, you've all got different nines as well. Jones, you would um, pick Ben Youngs. Um, Lawrence, you, you've gone with Connor Murray and um, Sam, as you say, uh, Thomas Williams. The, the, the second row is interesting in that... Um, uh, Sam, you don't have Alan winning, um, and nor do you, Jonesy. There's just this doubt of, of, of age. I mean, I, I haven't noticed him. I, I watched it watched it this morning, and he didn't appear to be that f- 
further down the pecking order or he didn't appear to have lost form. But Sotty, can I just combine that with another one? Because the trouble is with Warburton, he was a great player. He captained Lions five times and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> He's now a bloody good journalist as well. So the bugger, you can't, you can't get him on any front. But I, I changed my whole thinking when I read the Times this morning. Sam's come up with, with, with Ken Owens. And the more I thought about that as a, as a leader, not as a leader of the, of the team, but as a leader of the test team, if Alan Wynn doesn't make it. Ken Owens is the most remarkable, one of the most remarkable people I've ever interviewed. The intensity, the clarity, the passion about the guy is incredible. So I've changed my Lions test hooker this morning, having read Bloody Warburton in, in, in the Times. Alan Wynn, it's, it's a judgment call. Obviously, he's got massive experience. I think Warren would love to have him on the tour. Whether he's a test lock, mm. possibly he still is. It's difficult. Well, you, you go into games against South Africa underpowered at your peril. And, you know, they are... The, the second row is, the, is probably the single most important selection. I promise you now, Alan Wynn is the captain of that tour. It has to be. Uh, he has to... And, he, and as provided he's playing to the level that he has played at in, in, this, in this Six Nations... You know, he he would he should start the test match uh, as captain. That doesn't mean that you can't make an early substitution. Recognise that a player is thirty five years of age and 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 will need to be replaced during the game. But uh, you know, to, if we were to pick James Ryan and Mario Toji with say Ty Byrne at six, are we underpowered? Yeah, we are. You can't. You have to be. Power, you have enough power to beat South Africa because that is their game. Um, and, and and Gatlin knows that more than more than anyone. We've got a variety of of um, blind sides as well. Jones, you picked a Toje Lawrence, uh, Tyg Byrne, you picked there. Sam, you picked Sam Underhill. Well, you've already told us that you um, have quite a high uh, estimation of Sam Underhill. I mean, I know people will go, "Oh, well, they got outplayed in the World Cup final." You, you can't blame the World Cup final on two flankers. When I watch rugby, I watch flankers like a hawk. I kind of pride myself on like seeing their skill set and their skill level. I've said it a few times. I've said it years ago. I remember seeing both these boys about three, four years ago. Sam Underhill and Tom Curry are phenomenal, world-class, some of the world's best players, and I could be two of the world's best flankers. They are phenomenal players. I can't stress it enough. And I actually, I watched them just purring. I, I, I actually, I'm actually, like watching Curry yesterday, I actually can't believe how aggressive and how fit he is. I watch it like he'll charge down a kick from 10 and he dives like Lewis Moody used to. No, he'll pair at 40 yards, dive it in. He gets straight back up on his feet. I see him sprinting back into position and then he carries straight. I just, I just can't believe how fit he is. Like, I think those two boys are so destructive and you chuck a classy operator like Tulupe Faratau in between them. Oh my goodness me. What? And I know people go on about the height, but to- Toby's a brilliant line out operator. You'd have your two second rows. You, you only need three line-out options now because you can go five, six-man line-outs. You know, it, it makes no difference. So you don't really have to have that line-out option six like you used to back in the day. I just think those two paired up with, with Toby would just be... I would love to see that. Would really love to see that. Don't get me wrong. I'm like hearing selections of Maru at six, Tyburn at six. I wouldn't bat an eyelid at that either. I, I think they're phenomenal players. And everyone everyone's talking about, I would not care if that swap was made in my test team. It's a good position to be in. We've got so many top players, but... I just think those two boys. I just, I, I think they're, they're they're the two best flankers in the world right now. Do we think that the um that the Billy Vanapola conversation has kind of finished, or would he be one of the players that that Gatlin would just be hoping would uh, find some form? 
picked him, don't forget, to, to go on the last Lions tour off the back of some outstanding form. Obviously, that didn't materialise because he sadly um, you know, got injured. What you'd love is him to be back in that form again. And, that, and this is my point. You know, he, has to, he has to ask the question, can I get more out of Billy than, than, than Eddie Jones has managed in this campaign? Because I don't think he's, he's at the fitness levels that he needs to be. You know, Sam just talked about Tom Curry. 100%, you know, 22 years of age, bouncing like a little puppy off the floor, whether he's made a tackle or carried. You know, Billy isn't of that, you know, and, and he's got better as this campaign has gone on because he's got fitter and, and fitter. But, you know, has Warren Gatlin got enough time to get him up to the level that he needs to be? Because I don't think he's at that level yet, you know, in terms of the interactions he has in the game. So, you know, at the moment, Falatau, uh, you know, is, is without question the, the starting number eight. All right. Thanks, boys. Uh, much uh, This conversation will carry on for the next three months and we'll probably do it every week um, and it'll continue in between as well. Let's wrap up with, with the usual uh, a god or goddess of the week. Lawrence, you want to kick us off? Yeah, I mean, listen, the, the tournament, uh, Six Nations tournament's thrown up some some terrific performances. And I think, you know, my god of the week is, is a sort of a, a testament to all the... Uh, I don't like to call them veteran rugby players out there, but all the world-class, experienced rugby players out there goes to Johnny Sexton for his performance for, for Ireland against the, uh, against everyone. Um, because it just reminded the world that you can be long in the tooth, you can be uh, written off, you, you can be coming towards the end of your career, but you can be as relevant at the end of your career as you are in the middle and the beginning. And, uh, and that is what Johnny Sexton has done. Uh, and that is why... He will be selected for the Lions at fly half, and he's my God of the Week. Jeez, Lawrence, that was almost poetic, that stuff, wasn't it? <laughs> Do you know, I, I got to second that. I don't want to sound like a yes man, but that's why Johnny was catapulted into my Lions team at 10, because it sort of was just a realization, a slap across the face that after you know, being with him on two tours as well, you just remember how I remember how high his standards are. His leadership is phenomenal as a tactician, as a competitor. And I just think I just, I, if I was in the Lions dressing room now, I just love to see him as one of my leaders. Um, and I think, yeah, he showed that with, his, with all his experience on the weekend. So I completely agree. I'm, uh, I'm going to be, be singing for, for Johnny Sexton for this weekend. Jonesy? I'm slightly out of my depth with these two today, but um, I'm still going to boldly go for Tide Furlong because oh, good show. Uh, he's been so awfully uh, afflicted by injury People then started saying, oh, he's not going to be back. And I just think the Lions tour for a tight head prop. It's it's so vital, especially against the box. And the last few weeks, I just think he's been regal. He's even been running with the ball, passionate, won scrum penalties, put pressure on Makovunipola. So God, my God of the week is tied for long. And I still don't know how to spell his Christian name. <laughs> good shout. It's a very good call, that, Jonesy. Yeah. Very, very good shout. I had two contenders. One is one, one of the, the all-time greats. I, I never thought that I'd see uh, Richie McCaw do anything more impressive than he did on a rugby field. But uh, at the weekend, he appeared live on stage at a children's performance of The Wiggles. I don't know if you've got kids, but The Wiggles are, 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 are like a, a kids performing company. Yeah, he appeared live that. on stage playing the bagpipes and playing Scotland the Brave. I mean... Uh, the man has got more courage than we ever thought before. <laughs> but actually, actually, my um, my uh, god of the week is the is the other tag tag burn. I just w- watched him on um, 
on Saturday. And one of the first things I wrote down was, this guy's played his way into the Lions team. Certainly, the, if he wasn't in the squad already, he's, he's probably going to be a starter now. I think he's had an amazing Six Nations and he finished it off with, with that incredible performance. So um, so uh, I don't know how to spell his name either. Thanks, Jonesy. Or Tiger, or Burn, or Burn. that's us done for the uh, for the week thanks sam thanks lawrence thanks jonesy thank you to all our listeners please continue recommending and posting etc six nations hasn't quite finished uh and nor have we because we'll be back again next week see you then voiceover describes what's happening on your iphone screen voiceover on settings so you can navigate it just by listening books contacts calendar double tap to open breakfast with anna from 10 to 11 and get on with your day accessibility there's more to iphone